Well, uh, good afternoon. Notice how much authority I have. I start talking, and you all keep talking, and that's good. That's good. Just kidding. I wish we still were not in Chapter 5, but we are still in Chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. If you're following along, it's page 8. I want to uh, zero in more particularly this week on verses 3 through 13, but um, make sure that uh, I want to make sure that you understand what Paul is teaching in the first two verses, uh, more specifically that you don't misunderstand it. So let me review... um, what I think is a foundational principle here that uh, we, we, we can very easily apply it in a situation I don't think Paul would intend, and, and nor do I think we would be interpreting correctly. He is talking about believers within a local church. He's not talking about people in a local church dealing with relatives or friends across the street or people in another city. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a local body of believers. And he's talking about their responsibility to one another in that local body of believers. And he's talking about what responsibility do we have, and this is probably the most critical point, when we see a brother or sister in Christ defiantly and rebelliously sinning with no repentant spirit. Now, I tried to issue as many qualifiers as I could as well as create the context. Is that clear? I mean, are there any questions about that? That, that it's so important that, that's cl- that those things are clarified because if you step outside of those boundaries that I, I think I, I uh, summarized, then I don't think you are uh, correctly applying what Paul's teaching here. So, could, could you give us some contrast to what would be a misapplication? Well, uh, if you uh, had a, um, you're in a, a neighborhood, a cul-de-sac or something, where the you know kind of a little tight community, and there's somebody that you you're pretty sure is a believer, and you know they're doing something defiantly, rebelliously, that's not your responsibility. In terms of your local body, or in terms of doesn't mean you don't care about them, maybe pray for them, maybe talk to them, and so on. But you, the steps of discipline that we itemized last week on the board don't apply to that situation, Fred. That's the responsibility of the, little, the local church, the body that, to which they belong if they belong to a church. If you have a relative who is uh, a believer, it's a cousin, and, and there is a defiant, rebellious, unrepentant, sinful uh, uh, set of qualities in their lives, that's not your responsibility in terms of the church. As a relative, to love them, care for them, talk with them, but to go through those steps to discipline, that's not your responsibility. That's the local body's responsibility. Because this New Testament paints the picture, and he's going to get into this in the next uh, section, verses 3 through 5, that the local church is holy in God's eyes. It's, it's sacred in God's eyes. And to allow defiant, rebellious, unrepentant sin in that body is contrary to what it is. But it's a local body of believers that he's talking about. Are, is this application for this 
set of verses only? Because isn't there something in Galatians um, that says if you uh, you see somebody in sin, bring them bring them back, you know, with a loving spirit, is something to that effect? Well, actually, I think you're referring to the the last two verses of James, James yes. chapter five. That's where I, I think you're referring to. So, what what is your question though about that? I'm, 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 I wasn't clear on what your question was. Though. Well, my, you were saying, you know, that it doesn't apply to the neighbor, it doesn't apply to right. the cousin. Right. But is that, are you narrowing that it doesn't apply to this, what we are studying now, or are you saying the whole counsel of God says... Oh, no, no. I'm talking about just the, the, okay. the application of uh, the principles and the steps that we kind of itemized last week of discipline, of church discipline. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the responsibility you and I have to other brothers and sisters and trying to encourage them, nurture them, win them back, uh, get them back on the track. That's No, that's an obligation we have. Paul talks about that in Galatians 6 too, about being your brother's keeper, so to speak. Bear, your, bear the burdens of your brother, uh, you know, and so on. But I, And that's what I've... Tra- it's so easy to misunderstand what he's saying here. He is talking about the responsibility of the local body of believers to deal with uh, defiant sin where there's not a spirit of repentance. Okay, why are we concerned about that? He gives us two reasons. He gives us two reasons why this is so important. Reason number one is in verse 3, 4, and 5. For I, in my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit. Remember, Paul is over in Ephesus. He's across the Aegean Sea. And he's writing to them. So he's not there. But in spirit, I'm with you. I have already judged him, who has so committed this, as though I were present. So Paul is claiming here, in verse 3 and 4, he's claiming apostolic authority. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of Jesus, deliver this one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. Now, there's, there are a couple of very key phrases there, but I want to repeat again. With verse 3 and the first part of verse 4, Paul is claiming his apostolic authority. He, in effect, is commanding them to do this. If I were... um, um, I'm trying to think of a situation where that might apply. If I were uh, uh, observing something in another church, I have absolutely no authority to order that church to do something. I don't have apostolic authority, and none of you do either, by the way. In my view, the office of apostle is no no longer a functioning office. But regardless of that point, and this is all I'm saying, is Paul is doing something unique here. Where as an apostle, with the authority that comes from Christ, which he claims, in the name of our Lord Jesus, do this. And he is, in effect, telling them, this is what you do. He's not giving them... You know, you have two or three options. Kind of choose the one you think that works the best. He's just commanding them. This is what you do. And it is, it is part of his, which he does this a number of times in his letters. It's part of his responsibility. It's part of his stewardship. It's part of 
how he understands that apostolic authority, and he will use it occasionally. And so what is unique then is, okay, what do we do with that? What we do with that is he is taking the Lord's teaching, which we reviewed last week, and applying it to the situation. And it is, deliver one to Satan through the destruction of his flesh. That is very problematic because no, no one around this table talks like that. It is a, um, it's a, it's a it's difficult command How much dead is getting ready for Christmas? They only have red and green. I don't need color. So I'm going to have to choose. I guess I'll choose this. Uh, please note this that our, our leader wrote on the board. Next week we meet at NP Dodd. All right. I, I hope you understand or can picture what I've drawn up here, because I'm a terrible artist. That's a circle. <laughs> and this circle represents the local church. Uh, let's just you know, say that local church, they're current. Okay. You have this individual in the local church. <coughs> this young man who's living in this incestuous relationship, he has, and by the way, as you're going to see in, in several verses, this has been an ongoing problem in current. Because Paul wrote another letter to them earlier that he mentions, we don't have a copy of that, where he's still addressing this issue. So they're not listening to him. They're not doing what they should do. So when Paul says, deliver this one to Satan, what does that mean? X, communicate Excommunicate him. Ask him to leave the local body. That's what excommunicate means. So that now he's not in the body anymore. He's outside the body. And when Paul says the destruction of his flesh, you have a choice there. Does he mean the destruction of his flesh in terms of to kill him? Probably not. Because flesh, we, when we studied Romans, you might remember that particularly in chapter 7 and chapter 8, it kept coming up. Flesh is that principle and that power that stands opposed to Christ. And every day you have to choose whether you're going to serve the spirit or the flesh. Remember Romans 8, 5? Set your mind not on the things of the flesh, but set your mind on the things of the spirit. And so this is the last and final stage of discipline. He cannot stay in the body with his defiant, unrepentant, rebellious spirit. So you ask him to leave that hopefully he will develop that repentant spirit. And if he doesn't, you do know that even in the day of the Lord Jesus, his spirit will be saved. So, I want to deal with that in a minute. So when he says, put him in, another way to paraphrase that, put him in the realm of Satan, that means he's outside the protection and the security and safety of the local body. Follow me? 
Now the answer to that is either yes or no. There's no middle ground. Do you follow me? See what he's saying? So don't misunderstand that metaphor that he uses. Deliver him to the kingdom of Satan. What does he mean? He's outside the church. And it's not the church's fault. That's the responsibility of the church, the local body. What do you do with a refiant, defiant, rebellious, unrepentant person? You follow what Jesus counseled. All right? Now, when he says that, and that's a purpose clause, that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. What's the day of the Lord Jesus? That is consistently used throughout the New Testament. Not the great white throne. It is the Bema seat of Jesus, where we stand before him as believers. 2 Corinthians 5.10, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And he evaluates how we have served him. The purpose is for rewards. The purpose is for him to say, well done, you've served me well. So Paul is, it's, it's, it's really quite a uh, very significant uh, command, but he's using language that because he is an apostle with apostolic authority, he has the right to issue this kind of a command. But the point he's making <coughs> is the point that you want to see happen with every single person. They are asked to remove themselves from the protection and security of the local body, that they will repent. I told I think I told you uh, of an example last week from my home church way back many many years ago when I was on staff there, and uh, it was just that was an example exactly what Paul says here is exactly what happened to that that that, that time that young man, and uh, I mean it's, it doesn't often work that way but it's it was a wonderful example of the life change that can result when a church with 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 great diligence and a lot of prayer and a lot of really difficult processing of what do we do, when do we do it, it accomplished its objective. This man came back to the Lord in fellowship, was restored to his wife, and what you really want to see happen, happen. And I want to remind you of another thing. We have to assume from the way Paul is saying it in verse 4 that this little church in Corinth had done the other three steps. He's going to talk over in verse 9 about another letter he wrote where apparently he's referring to this this man that was the problem in the previous letter and, and you haven't done anything. So they would have apparently gone to him personally. They would have gone to him as a small group, would have made it an issue where the church was praying about it and trying to help him, and he didn't respond in any way to that. So Paul is saying there's only one step left and have the courage to do what God wants you to do. All right. Fred. This is a sin against God. It's not a sin against his church, but it's not a sin against the people in the church. Is that right or is that not right? I think so. I I mean, um, yes. I mean, it is primarily and fundamentally a sin against... um, against the Lord. But it also, Fred, it, it, 
it actually does defile the body. It defiles the local church. Because he's going to tell us in the next verse, verse 6, the first reason why you do this. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? It's a proverb. The little leaven leavens the whole lump. So if you don't deal with this, now think with me about the meaning of verse 6. What's leaven? Yeast. Yeast. And what happens, I mean, maybe some of you are good cooks and you really do know experientially you've seen it happen, but most of us just know conceptually. But yeast is one of those things that just grows, it spreads, and it's rather rapid. Today we might use the example of cancer. You know, it's, it's, it's somewhat similar. If you don't get rid of it, if you don't deal with it, it spreads very quickly and normally. So Paul is saying you really don't have a choice because if you don't deal with this, it spreads. And you will find yourself, again, remember, he is addressing the local body. You will find yourself tolerating, rationalizing, accepting what God so clearly has spoken against, and it's going to spread. And you will find yourself desensitized. And instead of being what God regards you are as a holy body of believers in process, you're a body made up of sinners, and we're all sinners, but sinners who are rebellious and unrepentant. And as James in his epistle talks about, you can't tell the difference between the local church and the world. There's no difference. It's just another social club that people join. Now that's, I'm really being cynical there, and I don't mean to be. But this is... This is the first reason for this instruction from Paul in verse 6, 7, and 8. But I don't think any of us have difficulty understanding what he's saying. If you don't deal with it, not that specific sin, but the acceptance and toleration and desensitizing to sin will go on. And over time, you'll just be like the world. And people are not going to be able to tell the difference. That is not what we are supposed to be. Okay? I know, Ekman, hurry up and get through five. We want to get into <laughs> six. Nine through 13 is the second reason. So the first reason, which we just summarized, is sin affects the whole body. And remember, this is the local body of believers. The second major reason is it serves an example. I was thinking of that as I was driving out. Maybe I should rephrase that outline point. It serves an example that should be a deterrent. Because the real objective is it's a deterrent. It will cause people, when they see how the local body deals with that, it, it could hopefully be an example and a, and a deterrent. This is serious. The body is the temple of, and, and like we saw, studied in chapter 3, the local body is the temple of the Spirit, the indwelling place of the Spirit. Our bodies are, but so is the body of believers. And so we, we're serious about this stuff. Boy, I'll tell you, that is so hard because that's not normally how we think or talk today. 
But look at what he says in verse 9 and really through the end of the chapter. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with such immoral people. Now, that's a le- we don't have that letter. <coughs> Paul wrote four letters to the Corinthian church. Two of them are canonical. This one, we nickname it the lost letter. We know what one of the things he said, but we don't have the letter. But I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with such immoral people. Now, associate, that's a very important word. Within that body. I did not mean with all the immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or swindlers, or idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. What does he mean by that? You have to be dead. You miss, So apparently, they misunderstood what he was saying. So he's reviewing. Remember when I said that, I said don't associate. I didn't mean that you isolate yourself and go up on a mountain and never see anybody that is a sinner because if that's if that's how you understood it and what I what I was really telling you is then you gotta die, which of course he didn't mean that. He's using some humor and irony there. But actually, verse eleven, now he's correcting what was their misunderstanding. I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother, if he should be an immoral or covetous or idolater or viler or drunkard or swindler, not to even eat with such a one. I believe, and this is one of those, it's a nuance, but I think this is probably correct. When he says not to eat with such a one, he's talking about the Lord's table. He's not necessarily just talking about generally having a cup of coffee or eating breakfast or something. He could mean that. But remember, and the reason I'm concluding that, is remember this is the context of the local body. And that the command is this. And the reason is the sacredness and holiness of the church. So you are to ask him to leave the body. You have no contact, no relationship with him in the body. Now, that doesn't mean individually, if, if I'm talking about Jim and me, that I would still maintain contact with Jim. I, still, I have the freedom to do that. But it's in the body. And so you sh- he, sh- he shouldn't be able to partake of the Lord's table. Mark, first. Didn't, um, in the context of the culture, didn't um, a meal represent something more intimate? You had you know, shared bowls, double-dipping... There was, it was socially a big thing to bring somebody into your home and have a, a meal with them more than just saying, hey, you want to go get something at McDonald's today? Like, well, definitely. That was, a, uh, that was an enormously significant uh, measure of hospitality. And in the local body, I think we've talked about that. We're, it's going to come up again in this, this book, Chapter 11. But the local body uh, of believers, and they were typically house churches, they enjoyed, they spent all day Sunday together, and they had the agape meal, which was a love feed. It was a, it was a potluck, is really what it was. And they would eat together. And you're right, there was something, I think for many of us, it's just part of our culture, a meal is not that special, except on holidays and things like that. But typically a meal isn't as, as maybe important as it used to be. Uh, because of our lives and our kids and everybody's so busy, but you know you have to fight to get those times. That was not the case 
very intimate time, and you're right, it was shared, and particularly in Jewish, but not necessarily only in the Jewish culture. So I think there's a lot to this, to not even eat a meal. That is a, and I don't think that necessarily means if you want to have a cup of coffee with him, to just keep kind, that's not what he's prohibiting. He's talking about that very significant, intimate uh, type of social uh, interaction that was a result and in the body of sharing together and then culminating and it always culminated with that you then take the Lord's table together that brother should not be involved in that that's what Paul's saying he, you, you can't involve him in that because he's under discipline that's what I meant by not associating with him that's what I meant you see that's what verse 11 is the corrective you misunderstood it. Here's what I meant. So you don't associate with him. He is not in the life of the church. And that includes the agape feast. That includes the Lord's table. Mark, you had, I think, your hand up. Which was actually the same thing. Oh, the same Middle, thing? In the Middle East, is, uh, eating together is a kind of a covenant together. You mm-hmm. don't betray somebody that you share, especially when they break, you know, in the old days, they, they break the bread and, and dip it in some salt, salt mm-hmm. and say, you know, you shared bread and salt together, this is a covenant, and you cannot betray each other, and you have to right. have a kind of relationship. It's, it's not just a friendship, it's, it's a kind of covenant. Right. And I think he was responsible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it, 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 that's why it's, it, it has a very, very different meaning and application to us today. Because we don't think of it. I mean, most of you know, except on holidays, but most of us don't look at a meal as a terribly sacred, special time. It's a necessity. Let's hurry because we've got more important things to do. You know. <laughs> the equivalent might be don't let this guy crash at your house. <laughs> <laughs> don't go to the ball game with him. Joe. When he, in verse eleven, when he says um, any so-called brother, is that an inference that? that this person might not be a believer? Or? There's there been a lot of brain cells burned on that. Uh, is Paul making a statement that's just ironic, and or is he really questioning? And I, I honestly don't know if we can settle that. I honestly don't know. Uh, it For example, it could be a tongue-in-cheek so-called brother because everything about his lifestyle doesn't bear evidence of that at all. But I don't really know his heart. God, he may have come to the Lord in salvation years earlier, but he is, again, think of what the word flesh means in Scripture, in the the New Testament particularly. He's living according to the principles of flesh, which means immorality, if you look at the vice list in Galatians 5, that's one of them. And a believer can live in an immoral relationship for a period of time. God's going to deal with a believer. That's what Hebrews 12 was all about. God will not let a child of his do something like that with impunity. He will call him to account. And and as Hebrews says, he does that because he loves us not because he is some autocratic dictator hammering us into submission. So um, 
This is, this is so, it, it, for us, for the most part, this is so foreign. I mean, I think it's, probably, it's just foreign. Because one, rarely do you have this preached from the pulpit. Two, rarely do you see it practiced. And three, it is so often misapplied. And you see things being done and say, well, we're just, no, no, no. You're, you're stepping outside of what the New Testament. So it's just really, really difficult. So. Let me go. So in the light of these verses, how are we supposed to react towards sin or sinners, especially nowadays with homosexuality or something like that? It's a very hard question, I know. But... Should I leave? I need. I, I have an early meeting. I have to go. Well, um, you used your example as a very incendiary one, so uh, but very appropriate, appropriate one. I mean, um, and this is really hard, but uh, I see nothing in Scripture that um, um, how do I want to say this that permits a local body of believers that is truly trying to follow uh, what the Lord uh, teaches and the, the sexuality ethical standards that are in Scripture that would condone same-sex couples coming into the church. If they come as uh, a visitor, and, and, and you know that's one of the things that, that happens quite frequently, but uh, if, if, a, if a local body of believers doesn't see anything ethically uh, uh, violating what God's clearly said about marriage, um, then you may say, okay, come on and worship, be with us, serve in the church, and so on. And that's then stepping outside of God's teaching, in my view. Um, if a, so that's one instance. So another instance would be if you have a member of the church, um, I mean, again, they're, they're, they're in the church, and um, they announce the next morning uh, next Sunday morning that um, they invite everybody to their wedding in two weeks and they announce their wedding and the name you hear is it's a girl making an announcement and she's marrying another girl she has just stepped outside of the clear teachings of scripture and so someone is going to have to deal with that I mean, that's, and that, and I'm sure all of you, whether it's happened in your church or not, that is something, if you think we're not going to face that, that is roaring down the pike with enormous speed, and it's going to start hitting our local churches. The little church plan I'm involved in, we just, they asked me to do this, and I just wrote it, and they just adopted it on the board. We want to protect our lead pastor. And so we wrote a statement on marriage. We wrote a statement on how the scriptures define marriage. And we expect all staff members, and most of our staff are volunteer, but we all of our staff members to adhere to that. And then the second application is that, that our, our lead pastor does not have authority from the board to perform any wedding ceremony where the people being married do not agree with the definition of marriage in our statement, which defines marriage as, you know, between, it's a covenant union between a man and a woman. And that comes from Genesis 2, it comes from 1 Corinthians 7, it comes from Jesus' teaching, because you know, we quote it. 
And we, uh, I, I encourage the board of our church to think that way simply to protect our lead pastor. Because if a, and this has happened to him, if a couple, a same-sex couple comes and says, will you marry us? He now can say, the policy of our board is that if you can't agree with this statement, I, I do not have the authority to marry him. It's protecting him. That doesn't mean we're never will be sued. You know, people sue for anything today. So I'm getting, I'm getting a little off the subject, but yet in a way I'm not, because this is an issue that for all of the history of this country, we have never faced this in our churches. Now we're going to face it. I, I mean that. I predict in the next 10 years, you're going to see this thing just explode. It's already, and then the Supreme Court case earlier in this summer uh, the ACLU is all already targeting in, in key states where there is not a uh, state law, uh, and there are, I think, what are there, 39 of them that don't have a law on their books that sanctions same-sex marriage. And they're targeting key areas in each one of the states because the goal is to get universally throughout all 50 states the legal recognition of same-sex marriage. However, that, isn't it true, Jim, that, like, Darrell was pointing out last time, if it's in the, the bylaws of the Constitution or the uh, formal church declaration supported by the church, that even though the state approves it, like Minnesota recently and some other states, that you don't have to follow that if that, that's in your biblical uh, church principles. Oh, that's correct. Until somebody takes you to court and it gets to Supreme Court and Supreme Court makes a decision on that. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. That's why I think um, we did it at our institution, which I was president over for, for 15 years, and uh, we're doing it at our local church, just to protect the church, that you have a paper trail that you can, you know what I mean? This is part of our, it's always been a part of our religious convictions. We just didn't make up our mind yesterday. It's been, and it's just, it's, it's really, it's because it's going to be a challenge. I'm telling you, it's going to be a challenge, and it's going to come up again and again and again. And I think what, what is going to be the deciding issue on this when it comes to case law as it gets into the federal courts is going to be whether this is an issue of religious liberty or not. Because it's pitting a religious liberty issue against a personal freedom issue. It's pitting those two together. And when those are butting heads, you're never quite sure how the court is going to rule. Because, and again, I don't know how much you read and follow these things, but slowly, and it's very slow, but slowly they've been chipping away at the religious liberty issue. Mm -hmm. Slowly. And so, um, you know, honestly, I mean, I'm 66 years old. I never thought I would see some of these things that we're talking about being discussed. Oh, as just, and I don't mean in, you know, in New York City or in Chicago or, or L.A. I'm talking about in, you know, rural America, in churches and evangelicalism, where you have people just rethinking all of this stuff, as well as enormous challenges. And I'll, I'll tell you, now, again, this, I'm not saying this politically, because I, I don't want it to sound like political, but the affordable... Uh, Health Care Act, if you are familiar with what one of the things being tested there is whether employees 
employers, excuse me, must offer contraceptive uh, pills and so on as a part of their health care. And the law says you must. Well, Catholic hospitals and Catholic schools and others um, protested against this, so all they did was change a word. And it's just an indirect, but it's still, you're still mandated to do it. And it is, it's not settled. <coughs> Because the like uh, a number of religious colleges, as well as major parts of the Catholic Church, are challenging that whole thing on religious liberty. And Obama made it; he made it crystal clear: we are not changing this, because it's pitting the right of a woman to have contraceptive care paid for by her employer versus the religious liberty of an employer that has a history, like the Roman Catholic Church, with its hospitals and with its schools. That has never, it has always protected conscience issues. That's pitted. They're banging heads now. And we're not quite sure how the courts are going to rule as this keeps working its way through. And so they're just chipping away at it. So honestly, Fred, I don't have any problems in 10 years seeing it actually coming into our churches and where courts are going to start. If you want to be constitutionally chartered in the state of Nebraska, you must have this offer too. It's almost, a, I never thought some of this stuff I never thought I'd see, but it's, it's it could happen. Jim, um, you picked the easier one to you know, talk about. The harder one. I didn't. He picked it. <laughs> <laughs> some, some of the easier ones, sexual and moral, that's pretty easy to understand. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be, you know, we'll talk about some easier ones, greedy, a covetous, mm-hmm. a swindler, idolater. I probably have these things. So, <laughs> I mean, how do you make sense of, you know, how do you reconcile going through everyday life with what Paul wrote here? Okay, I'm not sure all that you mean by your question, but the examples that he's using in verse 10, which is where he has a very small list, uh, and they're examples, of course, but he's talking about a person who is, let's take covetous, rebellious, defiant, unrepentant covetousness. Rebellious, unrepentant, defiant, swindler in, in in terms of how they deal with things in their life. Uh, Rebelliously, defiantly, unrepentant idolater. Those examples, Paul says, deal with them in your church. Deal with them in the local body. So, is is it maybe part of answering Dave's question that we're associate or, or fellowship Most of us around the table are guilty of some or all of these things at any given time, but it's the it's a the rebellious, repetitive nature of it, and b the, the word associate in terms of where you're in the type of fellowship. But no, no, remember associate in the body, right? Right. In business, I mean, glory. That's what he. That's why he says it in in the next verse. Don't misunderstand. If, if you thought I meant you're not to have any dealings with anybody who's practicing this, then you got to be dead. Because there's no way you can avoid, but it's, it's in the body, sin, in the fellowship of believers. Himself. A person who is... Don't accept, don't accept it as something is okay. 
It's not the norm. This is spiritually abnormal, and it is against everything that Jesus Christ stands for. So don't blink at it in the local body. Don't pretend that it is an issue in the local body. Now, this is a real cynical way to put it. But just so you keep your enrollment numbers up of your church, and you're afraid of those dwindling each Sunday, that doesn't matter. Don't blink at it. Don't pretend it isn't an issue. I mean, this, I mean, this, this is really hard. I mean, Dave, I understand what you're saying. This is really, really a difficult thing for us to think about applying. But don't, don't do apparently what some of the Corinthians are doing, that they misunderstood. He's not talking about your associations in the world or associations in your neighborhood. I mean, if that were true, then, like he said in a, in a rather uh, exaggerated way, hyperbolic way, well, then you've you got to be dead, is what he's saying. But that's not what he means. It's, it's in the body. You don't have spiritual fellowship. You don't celebrate the Lord's table with someone who is a long-running, rebellious, defiant, unrepentant, covetous, swindling person that you know. They shouldn't be there. You identified yourself. All of us can look at these lists of sins and say, check, 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 check. I, I, you know, raka, even murder. You know, what Jesus says, calling somebody a fool, you're guilty of murder. Check, I've checked them all off. But I'm not a swindler. If you identify yourself and say, that's what I do, I love it, I'm doing it, that's different than, oh, I screwed up again. I've got to get this right. I think that's why even maybe the best word that really characterizes it is the unrepentant nature of it. I don't care. Right. Daryl, you had your, your hand up. Yeah, it's a bit of a peripheral issue, and yet it's culturally where we're at today. Um, as far as my association with these individuals, let's just take one of the cases that we know about uh, where the... the uh, uh, cake decorator refused to make a cake for same-sex marriage. Right, right. Um, or let's just say if you're a landlord and you have somebody come to you, a couple of gals, I mean, are you going to do research each time to see if, if, are they homosexual or, or is this just two ladies that are wanting to live together? Mm-hmm. Um, what is your obligation as far as research and what freedom do you have in our own Because a chapter like this doesn't help you yeah. in that kind of a, in that kind of situation. I think and, and there are, I'm not punting here, I'm really not, because this is the this series of examples that you you use, if you're a landlord or um you have a business where you're selling a product or offering a product to people, then you decide. You have that, uh, what would be the right way to put that? You have that freedom to decide whether you are comfortable with trying to investigate and determine uh, to whom am I selling my product, to whom am I offering this. And then you determine whether that will be a standard that you will personally follow. 
and, and then you seek to follow it consistently, all the while knowing that that's not a religious liberty issue, as the courts have interpreted it. It may be to you a liberty issue. Follow what I'm saying. I, I'm, I'm qualifying enough. And then you, you make it, it becomes, and this, I, I know a man, that's very much, it's a part of his conscience. It's a part of his, his deep-seated conviction. His conscience, I, I don't believe in good conscience. I can rent one of my apartments to a same-sex couple. So I'm choosing, that's a line I'm going to draw. And I am willing to suffer the consequences if that comes to, to, uh, to develop. And I, I, they're one of those things, yeah, it's, that's really dicey. It's difficult. But I think you're doing it and you're making that an important issue. And that, you know, that is not something that you shouldn't do, but it's not something necessarily that you're always obligated to do. Because the more business we do, the more difficult it is. As a matter of fact, it's impossible to do business only with believers. You can't, it's impossible to do that. And I think that to some extent is what Paul's alluding to in verse 11. When I'm talking about associate, I don't mean with people of the world. Good night. It's impossible. If you, if you understood that, then the only way you can do that is to be dead. But I think when it comes to then some of those personal standards that you set as a Christian in the marketplace, you decide. All the while realizing, and especially since we live in the United States, recognizing that that's probably not going to be protected as a religious liberty issue. But we have to stand for our faith. You know, uh, a landowner can can reject somebody who's coming in to, you know, to get an apartment if he has a bad credit. And because he deems that this person is not worthy to give him an apartment. And he cannot reject somebody who is homosexual. You know, it doesn't make sense. You know, we have to defend our faith and we have to stand up for it. Is that a protected class yet? Yeah, and across so much. You so know, that. we have to stand up against that. This is what I'm saying. Is Christians supposed to use those things? Because lots of people say, aren't you a Christian? You're not supposed to stand up. You're turn the other sheep. You cannot be judgmental, all that kind of stuff. Yet the Bible is very clear that you have to stand up for your faith at the same time. But if you're if you're a detailed person, there are numerous other issues that you can find as reasons and rationale for why you have denied. But are we skirting one of God's laws on deception to to God? That gets to be a slippery slope issue, right? Not necessarily. I know how practically you can affect it and you can get around the consequences. If your focus is a credit score, for example, or pets, or I mean, there's you can find plenty of other rationale. With the, the, this, I mean, it is, and and for us in terms of this chapter, you have to put this chapter here, and those kinds of questions over here, because he and he says it again, verse twelve. What do I have to do with judging outsiders? People outside the body. That's judging. That's that. Now, what and doesn't mean you're not concerned about what they're doing, but when it comes to fellowship, the eating of the the Lord's table, which is what I think he's referring to, those things, that's not an issue in dealing with people outside the fellowship. That's there are other things in the Bible that help you to know how to relate, 
But when it comes to what he's teaching here, you're not involved in disciplining them. You're not, you don't call the authority of the church. That, that has nothing to do with the outsider. Now, again, that doesn't mean you don't have to develop the standards. And, and, but in terms of what he's teaching here, this is in the local body, period. Okay? Yes, this is... I'm just aching to get out of chapter 5. It's all right. Go ahead. Um, I was uh, listening to a church for sale, and, uh, and uh, the person who wanted to buy it was a uh, representative cult. And so I asked the owner, I said, do you want to sell to this particular group? He said, no, I don't. So I told him, and I liked the people very much uh, personally, uh, but I knew we were miles apart spiritually, and I just simply said that... Uh, he, he will not sell it to me. And I further added that, you know, not to be biased or anything. He was biased. And I said, I, I cannot work with you further to pursue your goal. And he, he said, what? And I said, I cannot. And uh, I said, I just told him I liked him. I liked his group, you know, personally. But I could not and so um, then I checked with the attorney <laughs> you know, okay. and, uh, so after the fact you called the attorney no I'm just kidding I'm just kidding and he said that no you don't have to that was his position he's been in business a long time it's just as we as we um, as we live our lives as disciples of Christ in a culture that is increasingly getting farther and farther away from the values and morals and ethical standards of God, it's going to be more difficult, I think, uh, to, in, to some extent in terms of your comfort level. And, and like... Um, same-sex couples and all of that kind of thing in terms of renting, doing business with them as well. But a lot of other issues, like these health care, these health care laws that are coming down um, and the interpretation of them and as the rules that are being written to implement it and all of that, it, it's becoming more and more of a challenge because it does touch on some liberty issues as well as things that are going on in education. I mean, it's just, we're just going to be facing more and more, and we have to decide. And I don't, I don't disagree with what Mark said there, but we have to decide what does standing for Christ look like in a culture. Because in the first, that's why the Corinthian letter is so relevant, because here you see these little tiny churches right in the midst of just an utter cesspool in the Greco-Roman world. There's hardly anything of redeeming value at Corinth. I don't know if you know what I mean by that when I say of redeeming value. I mean, it's just... It would have been a horrendous place to live in terms of what you consider to be important and valuable when it comes to values, morals, and ethics. Because everything around you was just absolutely counter to what you thought was important. Now, how do you live in a world like that? Well, you and I are we are starting to experience that. And so it affects almost everything you do. Now, I want to begin Chapter 7 with your permission. How about 7? 
six. What did I say? Oh, I said, I'm sorry, six. <laughs> what did I say? It's been like five so much. Yeah. Well, six, six is another one of these that is, uh, it's just almost counterintuitive. We don't even think about this kind of thing. But verse one sets the issue and places it on the table. Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Living Bible paraphrase says, how dare you take one another to court? <laughs> All right, let's, let's try to set some parameters here um, because of the nature of what he says in the next uh, series of verses. We have to be very, very careful that we understand what he's saying, and we have to be very, very careful that we don't misunderstand what he's saying. When he talks about court cases, what kind of cases is he talking about? He's talking about civil cases. He's not talking about matters of criminal law. And we know that's correct because there are many, many other parts of the New Testament and even ones that Paul wrote in like chapter 13 of Romans comes to mind that, that the, 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 the state has a responsibility before God. Whether they carry it out correctly or not is another matter. But the state deals with criminal issues. The state is to promote justice and toward evil. The state makes and enforces criminal codes of behavior. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, Joe and I have a dispute. We're believers. We're in the body. And he is so dissatisfied with what I'm doing that he takes me to court. And he files a suit against me. And where is it going to be settled? In a Greco-Roman court before judges or peers that are thoroughly non-Christian, thoroughly pagan, have no understanding of our values. And for Paul, it's incredulous that you would do this. Why would you take a dispute to a pagan law court? Why would you do that? So it's for Paul, it's an inconceivable development. And he's going to rail against them. Don't do that. He's going to give them three reasons why they shouldn't do that. But let me... Let me illustrate this. Oh, goodness, it's a quarter of Let me illustrate this with one or two points. In my church right now, we have two people in our church. There's a legal issue between them. And we are doing everything we possibly can to keep them from suing each other. <laughs> because it, it, what the issue is, they should not take that to a court. They should be able to settle that. And, you know, in the legal, uh, I'm sorry, um, in the modern application of something like this, there are organizations like the Christian Legal Society. Uh, there are a, a number of Christian attorneys that will help. They'll come in and mediate it. So you don't have to take it to court. And these two guys are just really resisting it because the one guy, I mean, it's just the details are not that important. So this is a very relevant issue, man. This is a very common thing to come, and the larger your church gets, the more you see it. So how do you settle things? Paul is saying, if you're believers and you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be able to settle this. And what 
has happened in, uh, in, in a, a, a lot of these started in the 20th century and they're continuing now in the 21st century. There are a number of organizations that can help you to do that. Where they mediate, where they arbitrate, and they help two believers to do something that's honoring to the Lord. Because as he's going to say, otherwise, those outside the faith are seeing you, brothers, fighting just like everybody else fights. You're no different than anybody else. You say you're different. You say you represent Christ. You say you represent a whole new value. And I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing as much bitterness and hatred and dissension and suing each other. So not much difference. You see the point? Paul has a lot in back of this instruction. There's an awful lot behind this. You are you are to be the the temple of the spirit. You're to represent something that is totally countercultural. And when the world sees you bitterly, hatefully suing each other, they're not seeing anything terribly different from what they see everywhere else. So I want to say one two things real quick, and I'm done. You must. Remember, he is not talking about criminal issues here. And two, he's talking about a much, much larger issue of how we're representing Christ to the world. And he's going to develop three reasons why we have to try to settle these things inside the body. And that's what we'll talk about next week. So if you want another session of lots of questions and lots of, but what about this and what about this? Come back. If you want to avoid it, stay home. Could you pray for Woody? Uh, yeah. He's uh, having um, some heart issues. Really? Okay. Woody? So, yeah, he's pretty checked up today. Okay, absolutely. Absolutely. Father, thanks for this uh, time of uh, discussion and probing how we apply in Chapter 5, something that's uh, very, very difficult and it's easy to misunderstand his instruction but also to even get our arms around what he's really, really teaching here, what he's really, really counseling. And I just pray that um, if I said anything that was not of your spirit, uh, that you would dismiss it from our minds, but instead enable us to concentrate and focus on that which is in consistent conformity with your word. And even as we think next week of approaching this next chapter, where again some very difficult things that he teaches and helps us to think about. Um, we want to make sure that we don't uh, step outside of the clarity of what he's teaching, but embrace it, understand it, try to apply it. So I just pray for each one of the men around the table. We think of Woody this afternoon. Um, uh, I don't quite know all the details, but Fred said it's potential heart issues. So uh, Lord, be with him. Uh, be with the medical people as they minister to him. I'm assuming that we'll do some tests and try to figure out and determine if there really is something uh, serious, potentially life-threatening with uh, his heart, whether it's malfunctioning or blockages or whatever it might be. So God, help him to rest in you right now. Help him to trust in you. And again, we just commit the, the, the examinations and whatever will be done, that they'll give them wisdom to discern exactly what that problem is, if there is a problem with his heart. So for the rest of us, as we go into the rest of our Wednesday, we ask you to help us to be good stewards of all that you give us uh, in our material things, in our time, our relationships, our families, but also in all that we do, that we would represent you well, because we are the light and salt that you have in this world. 
and we want to do it and we want to live our lives in an honoring way uh, because we do represent you and we want to do that well in your name we pray amen see you next week